Hey, good morning. Welcome to Bridgewater. So glad to see you this morning. Happy Father's Day to you. I may say that a couple times in this message, just thinking about a lot of you guys and my own dad, of course, and uh, even my father-in-law this morning. So um, it's just really cool to be here, even on a day where I am reminded of the privilege it is to be a dad myself. Uh, we are trying to wrap up this series entitled Crazy Faith, and today's message is entitled Daily Faith. But let me just walk back really quickly through the previous weeks that we have been through. We talked about baby faith as being the ability or the choice to take God at his word. Just trusting God at his word. Am I okay here? I'm going to talk really loud. Baby faith is taking God at his word, just saying if God said it, I'm just going to go ahead and take that as truth, and I'm going to go forward. We moved then into maybe faith, believing that it might be God until it proves to be God. That is not just a hard sell at following, but just honestly a maybe faith of, okay, I'm just going to take some next steps and just trust that God will confirm whatever I'm supposed to be doing. We moved on then into wavy faith, believing God to take the next steps of following him beyond what seems reasonable. All right, wavy faith does things that cause other people to sort of tilt their head and ask a question, are they okay? <laughs> Am I missing something here? Yeah, you probably are. You probably are. They are taking steps of wavy faith. And then crazy faith, thoughts and actions that may seem unreasonable, but trusting God for what you cannot explicitly prove. We believe that our relationship with God at its core is on the basis of faith. And though God does give us evidence again and again of what we ought to be doing and the fact that what we're doing is right, you cannot explicitly open it up and say black and white, it is by faith we live, not by sight, the Bible says elsewhere. And so as we've been going through this series and hearing the definitions of faith, you might be sitting there thinking to yourself, that's great for some people, but I don't think I can ever get there. I could never be like that. I couldn't imagine my faith being that big. Today we're going to work through the reality of how we work toward all those types of faith. What does it take to get there? How do we grow our faith? Some of us, our faith is just a word. It's a concept that we're a little bit leery of. In fact, you got lured here with food and activities and by your kids saying, please, please, please come. All right, maybe that's you this morning. And so for you, faith is not something you're embracing. Faith is something you're observing from the outside. At least as it relates to faith in God. What we want to do is walk through how to build our faith from baby faith to daily faith. And we're going to work with this idea that I'll, I'll really show you on the screen later. Daily faith believes that we must be diligent to prepare in the small moments for what God might do in the big moments. Daily faith means doing the quiet, silent, invisible things of faith so that we are prepared for the big moments of faith. Daily faith is being ready in season and out of season for whatever God might call you to. It's preparing your heart to take those little steps of faith so that when the big step comes, it's not a big step. It's for you just the next step. Okay? And if we ever want to be people of great faith, we have to learn to practice faith on a daily basis. The devil is not afraid of us having occasional faith. He's afraid of us having daily faith. Okay? No one is scared when in a moment you step up, okay? But the forces of hell are on their heels when day after day after day after day you just grind. That's what puts him on his heels. So on this day, Father's Day, I want to use 
my father to talk a little bit about how to build the practice, the discipline, um, make the investments of daily faith. I want to talk about my dad. I, I think of and pray for him often, but today it's honestly just a ton. Uh, I've got a picture here to show you. This is a 1983 Ford Ranger. And uh, I have memories sitting in the cab of a single cab 1983 Ford Ranger. My dad did a bunch of great things for me growing up. All right, he, he just did a lot. He poured and poured and poured himself into me. Uh, There's no question that he loved me, all right, that I was cared for. There was no question that I belonged to him. No matter what I did, he made it clear I was his son, and nothing was ever going to change that. I love that. My dad was not perfect. In fact, far from it. And if he were here today, he would tell you, yeah, that's true. Definitely not perfect. But there are some amazing things that he did. Here are some of the amazing things my dad did for me. He coached on the baseball teams that I played on. He took us on some great road trips and some vacations. Some of, us, some of the vacations were pretty expensive. He bought a dirt bike for my brother and me to mess around with. He bought me a new set of catcher's gear as I entered my varsity playing career. I just uh, was with uh, Cole looking at baseball gear, realizing how expensive that stuff is. <laughs> He's not getting any. <laughs> uh, he bought me some hunting guns. He took me camping. He took me hunting. He made sure that I was in church. And many of those things were important. Many of those things were even visible to other people. Some of them were glamorous and even very expensive. But none of them had as profound an impact on my life as what he did that took place in the cab of a 1983 blue Ford Ranger. Um, I'm going to work my best to get through this little section right here. I mentioned that uh, we hunted. My dad bought me hunting guns. Uh, we did not have the pri privilege of having private land to hunt on, so we had to drive about an hour to get to the state game lands. And, um, and it was in those moments, those hour-long trips to the game lands, that my dad and me, because I was the youngest, and my brother were sitting in that truck, and I remember working the four-speed shifter, <laughs> learning how the gas and the clutch work, and that was just my job, and I can't tell you how many times I, gr I grinded the gears because, you know, it's straight back into second and then up and over into third. And it took me a while for me to get that down. Uh, but I just remember being in that. I, I, we, I, we listened to country western music. Uh, Ricky Skaggs, and I'll just shout out to Ricky Skaggs. Uh, we played him all the time. And so many times we didn't talk about anything. We just blasted the music. Sometimes we talked. We talked about hunting. We talked about sports. Uh, but honestly, so much happened in the cab of that truck. I, we, there was nothing really off limits. And it wasn't even forced. It wasn't planned. It was just kind of natural. In that truck, I learned about life. I learned about a relationship with God. I learned about girls. Uh, I learned about what it would take for my future to look the way that I wanted it to look. I learned what marriage could be like, for better or for worse. I learned so much. I, I just cannot adequately express to you the amount of impact those moments in the cab of that little dirty truck had in my life. I just, I just couldn't do it. And those moments in that truck were not glamorous. They weren't public. They weren't even visible. He didn't post on social media that he's taken us hunting and he's going to have a great dad son time in the truck. None of that happened. It just happened over and over and over and over again. And you know what? To be honest with you, and I had the toughest time telling my dad this, 
But for a period of years, I didn't really even enjoy hunting. <laughs> but I did enjoy being in the truck with my dad. An awful lot. And if hunting meant that I could have those two hours there and back, drinking cheap coffee out of an old thermos, I was going to do it. I loved it. When I consider the key factors in contributing why I follow Jesus today, the number one thing in my mind is those moments in that truck. That's it. My dad succeeded in raising me not because he was perfect, and it wasn't because of the big, extravagant, visible moments. If you question my dad in terms of the investment he made and what he did, he might list for you those vacations. He might list for you those purchases that he made. I don't list any of them. Those were great, and I appreciate them. But it was those moments and those tiny, small investments regularly over time in that truck that did it. That's it. He succeeded because of the consistent, small, mundane investments he made in that truck. His fatherhood was not characterized by high-priced purchases, big, shining, dazzling moments in front of a, the, a watching crowd. It wasn't spent in front of the public eye. It was quiet. It was normal. It was a part of the rhythm of our life. And it was invaluable and changed the trajectory of my life forever. So I'm here to tell you that those little things made the difference in my life, and I am forever grateful for them, for my dad. And perhaps each of you have had someone significant in your life. If, if I asked who's had a, a significant influence in your life, you might have a face pop in your head. Chances are it wasn't this big, glamorous, flashy moment. It was just them being them, not even maybe even really trying, just sort of being there for you again and again and again. And just shaping slowly but surely who you are becoming. How do they do that? They did it because of the regular investments that they made in your life. And honestly, people, the same is true with our relationship with God. The same is true. There is no way that we can be conditioned for the great moments of faith if we are not walking in daily faith. All right, often when we fail, and I want you to see this, often when we fail, it's not because we don't have the capacity for great faith, but because we have not conditioned ourselves for great faith. I think any of us would have the capacity for great faith, but I think probably relative few of us in this room have conditioned ourselves to be ready for great moments of faith. And here's why this is important. This is a quote from Paul Tripp's devotional, New Morning Mercies. If you haven't purchased it, I don't know what you're waiting for. I struggle to, to decide whether or not to put these in here because I feel like every time I speak, I throw one of these in there from that devotional. There's a reason for it. Here's what it says. You and I don't only live in big moments. We probably only make a couple of big life-altering decision, decisions our whole lives. We all live in the utterly mundane. We all live in little, unnoticed, unremarkable, mundane moments of life. The little moments of your life are profoundly important precisely because these little moments happen to be the address where you live. The character of any person's life is not shaped by two or three grand big moments of life. A person's character is formed in 10,000 little mundane moments of everyday life. It's the character formed in those little moments of life that determines how you think and respond in the few big moments of life. So how do we form character 
of faith in those small, mundane moments. To answer that question, I want to look at one of the great heroes of faith, a name that even if you're not really familiar with the Bible, many in this room would still be familiar with this name or at least this account. His name is Daniel. We're going to be in Daniel chapter 6 as we look at uh, how to build daily faith. Daniel chapter 6. Daniel, again, is one of those classic examples of faith. Uh, We hear stories of greatness of Daniel, especially surrounding the lion's den. So we're not going to do anything fancy this morning. We're going right there. It's Daniel chapter 6. We're going right to the lion's den moment of Daniel's life. Now, if you trace Daniel's trajectory from the beginning of the book of Daniel in the Old Testament, the first part of the Bible, You're going to see that he's a a young kid, a bright kid, but he gets kidnapped. He gets taken away into military service to another kingdom, to a pagan king who doesn't know or worship God. He is forced to take on a pagan name. All right, so he had a name that honored God in its meaning, and then he was given a name to honor one of the false gods of the land of Babylon. And then he had to learn all of their practices, all of their culture, all of their, all of their rituals. He was given food to eat, but you learn early on in Daniel's life that he had some resolve. Daniel, there was something about this guy that set him apart from the rest of the people. And honestly, it wasn't even big or flashy things. They said, here's the food you're going to eat. And Daniel said, actually, I would prefer if we ate something else. Is that possible? And Daniel, because of who he was and how he carried himself, earned such favor with the king's officials. The king's officials said, yes, you can do it, but don't you let anyone know. And if you fall behind, it's your head, not mine. Daniel said, deal. So he ate the vegetables and water instead of the king's, the king's uh, food and just head and shoulders above the rest, was brighter, was stronger, more knowledgeable, more able than any of the other guys. And the officials finally said, okay, everyone's eating what Daniel's eating. All right, it must be in the food. All right, they knew there was something. They couldn't tell what it was. They didn't know it was daily faith. They didn't know it was Daniel just being Daniel. Daniel just saying, whatever following God means in this moment is what I'm going to do. That's what it was. So Daniel was even willing to serve under pagan kings, to do their bidding, to honor his emperor. I think we can learn a lot from Daniel submitting to and responding in a godly, biblical, respectful way to a pagan emperor who doesn't know or worship God. All right, get my point? Thank you, good. I'm moving on. All right, Daniel was so faithful to God that when, it annoyed people. Some of the people just put him right off. And when it came time, they were going to go after Daniel. And so they went sort of combed through his life. They looked on his Twitter, his Twitter feed, his Facebook. They, looked, they got his email from the servers. And they were looking all through his life to figure out how they can nail this guy to the wall and discredit him. And you know what they could find? Nothing. Nothing. So they couldn't find anything wrong, so they had to choose something right. What did they choose? They chose that Daniel prayed to God. Well, what's the problem with that? It's not a problem unless, of course, you're, official, you're an official with a wicked agenda who says, hey, king, how about we make a just special decree? I, th- I think that people owe their allegiance to you. They're just buttering him right up. How about we just make a decree that for 30 days, no one prays to any god other than you? And the king's like, yeah, sounds good to me. Do it, stamp Okay, so the law goes out, but they had been watching Daniel, and they noticed something about Daniel. And here's where we pick up Daniel chapter 6, verse 10. It says this. Now, when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. 
Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. They're going to find fault with Daniel, and they're going to find it with his devotion to God. It's really interesting in this verse what it points out. They, they came up with this decree uh, to go after Daniel, and they did it because this wasn't a new practice. It wasn't as though this decree came out and, and Daniel said, you know what? I'm not going to do that. I'm going to pray, but I'm going to pray to God, and I'm going to do it three times a day. No, no. Look at the last words here. Just as he had done before. This was a pattern in Daniel's life. They're just picking on something that was already there. This wasn't a response to their decree. This was just them picking out something that already had existed in Daniel's life. Now listen, that crazy faith, bringing him to the lion's den, okay, that's, that's something that, that God was building in him, and, and it was, what got him there was his daily faith. It, it, wasn't, it, wasn't, it wasn't as though the lions then came up and then Daniel demonstrated this great faith. His faith was already there, and the next step for him was just to continue to honor God. We often get this backwards. We think that when the test, when the trial comes, when the big deal comes, then we go to prayer. Daniel would say, oh, no, no, no. You want to be ready for those big tests, those big trials? You daily go to prayer. That's what you do. You're, you're always pursuing your relationship with God. Daniel understood that his faith needed to be an everyday reality. He knew that he had to exercise his faith in little moments. In fact, there's some activities out there today. Some of them are physical. And some of you people are going to discover that you have not been putting in the daily practices to enable you to succeed at those activities. Pull-ups might have been something you once could do. But unless you've been doing them consistently, you're not going to have very much fun on that pull-up bar today. Or the rope. Or hammering the nails. Some of you who are well-conditioned for this stuff will just go out and do it and you won't think anything of it. Why? Because that's just what you do. This is just what you do. And we are being urged today to make practices of faith just something that we do. We must become diligent to prepare in the small moments for what God might do in the big moments. What does this look like? It's choosing to pray instead of just suffering and living in anxiety. It's choosing to open up God's word and read it rather than scrolling through social media. It's choosing to go to your small group, to come to church, to engage in relationship with people rather than just walking around afraid that your bubble's going to be burst because someone's got thorns. It's choosing to serve and to step up and do something for someone or serve in church rather than just let someone who is more qualified take care of it. That's what it is. It's daily. And what's hard about daily faith is that it's not cool. No one's going to give you a round of applause for getting up in the morning and spending time in prayer. No one's going to cheer you on for reading your Bible. No one is going to give you a certificate of achievement for signing up to work in kids' men. No one's going to give you a pat on the back and bring you a cool drink because you set up some chairs for people coming in. It's not cool. It's not cool, but it's precisely what we are being called to today. The reality is, daily faith is doing what God says, even in the little things that no one sees. Today's Father's Day, and the truth is, there's a whole lot about fathers uh, being a, a father that is invisible. It's tough. No one thanks you for getting up faithfully to go to work. No one thanks you for doing the extra little things, the unseen things. No one thanks you for just showing up 
at your kids' events. No one thanks you for just putting your arm around your son or your daughter. No one thanks you for just giving your family a hug. No one thanks you for shutting off the TV and just choosing to engage with your kids. It's just little things. There's a phrase around faith that uh, we, we call spiritual disciplines. Spiritual disciplines, it's, it's the daily, it's the very things we're talking about, the daily things of faith that you and I need to be consistent in. And they're called disciplines for a reason. It's because they're difficult to do. It requires patience and practice and perseverance over and over and over again. Paul puts it this way in 1 Timothy 4, 7 and 8. Have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. This is Paul talking to Timothy now, a pastor who's going to be uh, serving churches and appointing pastors in other churches. Train yourself to be godly. Verse 8, for physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present and the life to come. Physical training is valuable, but godliness, training yourself to be godly, has value both in this life and in the life to come. When we train ourselves to be godly, when we practice daily faith, we are going to reap rewards both in this life and in the life to come if we're willing to discipline ourselves in them. So here's the big idea right here that I said I'd show you. Daily faith consistently prepares in the small moments for what God might do in the big moments. Consistently prepares in the small moments for what God might do in the big moments. I'm currently coaching summer league baseball, and uh, we've got a team that's bigger than the amount it takes to be on the field. So we've got some boys who sit the bench, and it is a burden on my heart that these boys be ready to enter the game, ready to go, engaged. What's the score? Who are the hitters? How strong is the catcher's arm? What kind of pitches is that pitcher throwing? You know, be ready to go. They may not get in the game, some of them. But if they do, they had be ready. They better be ready when their name is called. That's what we're talking about. Parenting. I know today's Father's Day, but moms, just want to give you another round of applause. Okay? Yeah. It's not glamorous. Parenting, choosing to get up and open up the word before your kids get up. Choosing to bring your kids before God every day. Choosing when you get home from whatever you were doing, from whatever was going on. I watched Kristen act like she has eight arms, even though she only has two. And I, and I was just, we had a moment this week where I, like, a couple things were going on, and I about froze. I was like, ah, it's too much. It's too much. And she's kind of like, <laughs> to each his own. Um, but I, I just amazed at how much it takes to, to actually overwhelm that woman. But it's very difficult. But you know what she does? She puts in time over and over again. And she's ready for those big moments. And that's what I want to be. And if we ever want to have crazy faith, if we want to be like Daniel, here's the big idea. I need to be conditioned for what God might call me to. So honestly today, if you're exercise oriented, I'm calling you to work out. But if you're remotely faith oriented, I'm calling you to invest every day. Just begin. Just begin. The truth is, you don't have to start some giant Bible study if you're not reading the Bible currently. Because any Bible reading will be better than what you're doing now. So, wherever you are, 
at whatever level, today's the day to build and to take some next steps. So I want to give you four ways that we can condition ourselves, four ways to invest, to exercise our muscle of faith so that we are conditioned for what God might call us to. Here's the first one. Talk with God. Talk with God. This is prayer. This is prayer. First, we need to practice daily faith in prayer. Daniel, of course, is an excellent example of this. He prayed three times a day. It was his practice. It was his habit. And it was what propelled him to the lion's den. Please understand, and I don't want you to miss this, that these these daily practices of faith preparing us for what God might call us to, it might be something big that you enjoy, but it also might be a lion's den moment for you. The people that you know who are walking faithfully with God are going to have some battle stories. They are going to have some heartaches to share with you. Not everything is glitz and glamour. It is difficult, but what you will hear from them is that the rewards are worth it. Jesus is worth it. And the first way we can demonstrate that is by praying. Faith requires trust. You can't trust someone that you don't talk with. We know this in building relationships with each other, high school relationships, middle school relationships. you got to have some communication here. you got to learn to build a relationship before you can begin to trust each other. This is true of Kristen and me. We've been building our relationship since we were in kindergarten. God knew what I needed, and he knew that I needed her ever since I was in kindergarten. All right, so that's when he brought her into my life. The more you talk to and relate, with, relate to someone, the more you trust them. Trust. Trust. That conveys the idea of dependence. I need. I, I can't do this on my own. I can't exist on my own. I need God. And this is so countercultural for us on Father's Day. Because men are somehow supposed to be self-made, tough. We pick ourselves up. We do it ourselves. And God says, a man trusts. He relies. He depends on his father. And when we pray, we depend. Prayer implies dependence. Prayer implies the fact that I need resources that I can't get myself. I need God to provide them for me. Daniel, a man's man who faced the lion's who practices daily faith and took him right down into the lion's den. In the lion's den, trusted God. And if you haven't heard the story before, you need to keep reading in Daniel chapter 6. I don't want to spoil it for you, but Daniel survives. (laughs) You want crazy faith? Start with baby faith. Take God at his word. He says that he answers prayer. Exercise that daily faith by praying every day. You want maybe faith? Practice it by asking God to clarify what he wants you to do and just take the next right step. Just the next right step. Move forward anyway, waiting for God to confirm. Build wavy faith by praying for God to lead you through what might seem unreasonable. And honestly, in your daily faith prayer life, you're going to pray a lot of maybe faith prayers. God, I don't know if you want me to do this. I think you might. I'm just going to move forward. Would you confirm with me, confirm for me that this is what I'm supposed to do? Come behind me and encourage me in this. Otherwise, just pull the plug. I'm not smart enough to figure this out myself. In fact, James says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously. He gives liberally. God, when you ask for wisdom, doesn't say, this is something you should know. You should know how to do this by now. Now, as a dad, I have said that before. I'm just glad that God doesn't. He says he gives generously without reproach. 
if we would just ask. God, I'm not 100% sure you want me to start this business, but I'm just going to move forward. God, I'm not sure you want me to put my kids in school here. God, I'm not sure... I don't know if I should talk to my coworker. I'm, I'm going to move forward. God, I, I'm not sure. That's a maybe faith prayer. Just work that muscle and let God lead you. So let me just stop and ask you, how are you doing in this area? What is your next step of prayer? Do you need to begin praying? Maybe it's more consistently. Maybe it's daily. Maybe you need to have a plan. Maybe a list. Talk to someone. Get some help. Number two, the second way to condition yourself is to hear from God. Not just talking with God, but hearing from God as well. We're talking about Bible reading. We need to practice daily faith in reading the Bible. Why is it so important? These ancient words, black and white, written thousands of years ago, over 40 different authors, about all kinds of different subjects, amazingly pointing in one direction at the redemption of of sinful people by a holy God. Here's what Romans 10, 17 says, and here's why this is important. Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word about Christ. Faith comes from hearing the message. You want to build your faith? You want your faith to grow? Get in God's word. That's where it comes from. One of the simplest, most effective ways to build your faith is to build your relationship with the Word of God. As I read the Word, I hear the stories. I read the stories about Abraham, Peter, Daniel, others who have had great faith, and I'm encouraged to follow their example. I see what God does in other people's lives. People who the Bible says, who God communicates to us, are just like us. Elijah, Elijah was a man just like us, and he prayed that it wouldn't rain, and for three years it didn't rain upon the earth. We, we see these people as these amazing examples. You know what they were? Regular people who did the daily, mundane, invisible, non-glamorous, non-flashy, difficult things. They conditioned themselves. We already said you can't trust someone you don't talk to. The same is true in reverse. You can't trust someone who doesn't talk to you. Right? I need, there needs to be a two-way relationship here in order for us to, to build this, this relationship. We, we've got to communicate back and forth. And so we talk to God through prayer. We hear from God through his word. We cannot hope to grow in faith if we are not listening to God. And we are just sinful and broken enough that we honestly look like people say prayer, and we're like, yeah, but is there anything else that we can do? Yes, the Bible. Yeah, but are there any good books out there? At, go to church. Yeah, but is there any conference that I, I can attend? Anything else? Instead of just doing what's right there in front of you. It's not flashy. It's not glamorous. If you're exercising, you're like, yeah, but I need to get a membership to a gym. I'm like, just do push-ups. Well, no, I need, like, I need bigger dumbbells. I'm like, if you do a push-up, that's more than you were previously doing. It's progress. Just do something. Just do something. And I wonder how you're doing in this area. As you listen to this, what practices do you need to begin? When's the last time you opened up God's word just to hear from God? And how consistent are you? Can I just encourage you? Ask for help. As I talk to people, interact with a lot of people about this, they say, I just don't know where to start. I'm like, well, when were you going to ask? Oh, I don't want to. No, no. Let's just lay down our pride for a second and say, I'm not sure how to do this. I need some help. 
We do this all the time. It's called YouTube. Right? I, I don't know. I, I, let me just, I don't know how to change that pipe. How to change the drain pipe. Oh, I have the tools. Yeah, get to work. Come on. It's the same thing. Number three, third way to condition yourself. Connect with God's family. Connect with God's family. We have a core value. We have five core values as a church. One of them is life is better connected. We believe that life is better connected, but we live in a series of casually terminal relationships. We are acquaintances with 100 people and friends of no one. We got all kinds of people who will say, hey, how you doing? Happy birthday. You know, Facebook, it's your birthday today. Way to go. Who are they? Let me look them up. Who in your life can honestly tell when you're beginning to veer off course? Who in your life have you not shoved off and scared away from actually coming to help you or confront you when you need it? Who in your life have you invited into your struggle? Who in your life have you said, I can't shoulder this alone. I need help. What does your engagement look like even when you're here in this building? Weather, coffee, sports, what else? Tractors? Weather again? Changes all the time, we know. I keep talking about it. <laughs> Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 says this. Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. The writer of Hebrews knew that we are people in need. And he knew that we are people in need of people. We're in, we're in need of annoying people. He says, spur one another on toward love and good deeds. He doesn't say comfort one another on, cheer one another on. He says, spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Ever been spurred? Baseball players might be spiked. It doesn't feel good. It doesn't always feel good. But the truth is, I'm, I'm just dumb enough to need it. And apparently, the writer of Hebrews was onto something because he wrote this to all of us. We all need that spurring. And the truth is, it's these close relationships that God often uses to grow our faith. And they don't have to go perfectly in order to work. In fact, it's often in the imperfections of the, these relationships in which God grows our faith. Learning to show grace, learning to receive grace, learning to forgive, learning to be forgiven. If you're not in a relationship with someone where you are asking for forgiveness and being forgiven, I'm not sure how close you are. Because where there's closeness, there's friction. And where there's friction, there's movement. These are good things. This is being sore after a workout. This is having a stiff back after being on your feet all day long. It means you did something. And we think, no, no, I, I, people are hurting me. They're all this. It's just, this is life. I don't know why we think that our relationships should be different. It's difficult. Being a dad is difficult. It's one of the greatest privileges of my life to be a dad to my four kids. And it's one of the most difficult things I do on a daily basis. And as with the first two disciplines, this is something God 
has called us to. It's not a question of whether or not God wants us to. It's a question of whether or not we're willing to step out of the boat. That's it. And some of us today just need to get out of the boat. It hurts. I get it. I know. Relationships are difficult. So difficult, guess what? You can't handle them on your own. You need relationships to help you handle relationships. Being a dad is tough. And you know what? You can't do it on your own. You're not the smartest guy. And neither am I. I need help. I need the influence and the input of other men on my kids' lives. Other people. Kristen and I, we need each other. We need other people building in, speaking into our kids' lives because we're not smart enough to figure it out on our own. And honestly, we weren't even designed to be that way. That's why God gave us a community. Life is better connected. And I wonder how you're doing in this area. Does anyone know your name? Does anyone even know your middle name? Who knows you enough to speak into your life accurately and with conviction? Just decide to engage with someone, maybe even while you're here today. The fourth practice, the fourth way to invest is this. Serve God's sheep. Serve God's sheep. If you're new to the Bible, sheep is a common biblical uh, phrase, a figure of speech for people. Sheep are not bright animals. Just let that one sink in. We need to serve others to practice daily faith. God has called us to serve others. I love this passage. 1 Peter 4.10 says this. Each of you should use whatever gifts you have, uh, you've received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. Each and gift. We all have a gift. None of us is allowed to say, there's nothing for me to do. I don't have any gifts. These people, they have some gifts. Those people, they have some gifts. The people out there, they have some gifts. Not me. No, no. Each of you. Each of you who are following Jesus has at least a gift. So you can't say that you don't have anything to offer. And serving can take a million different forms. Begins at home invisibly. Just pick up something that doesn't belong to you put it away. Just clean up after a mess that someone else made. Just put something away that was left out. Just make the phone call instead of having someone else call. Whatever it is. Even here at church, tons of different ways. Our guest services team of greeters. People who set up chairs. Do you know that there's a, a crew of people who come here every Saturday and set up this room with chairs? Do you know we had people this week underneath this stage? Which, that might not, not mean anything to you, but... Wow. A thousand different things. Some of them invisible, which might be your style. Some of them visible, which might be your calling. I don't know. But there is something for you to do. You see, the dads are also the best. The best dads are the best servants. They just continue to churn, continue to serve, not demand, not sit on their throne and demand praise and service, but get off their throne, realizes there's only one who deserves a throne, and we serve him. And because we serve him, we serve our families as well. They serve their community. They go to work, give it 100%. Everywhere they go, they're serving. And how are you doing in this area? I wonder what your family would tell me.
what next step is there for you? Truth is, my dad is never going to get an award for taking us on those hunting trips. The only people who are ever really going to talk about it are my brother and me. He doesn't get a gold star. He doesn't get a trophy. His name's not on the wall. There's not a plaque in the Hall of Fame. None of that. All there is is a blue Ford Ranger and my memories of it. But every single person whose life God enables me to touch is a result of the moments spent in that truck. With no one watching, no one knowing, it wasn't sponsored, there's no link to it, there's no account for any of you to follow. It's just here lodged in my heart. And out of the overflow of my heart into anyone's heart whose life God enables me to touch. And your relationship with God is like that too. Anything of significance will have first been born in the small, private, quiet, mundane moments of practicing daily faith. That's it. And a million of those small steps and investments and practices of daily faith form the direction and the character of our lives. And if we want to be people of crazy faith, we must first take the steps of daily faith. Would you commit today to take your first steps, even if it's just that mustard seed-sized faith to say, okay, God, one step in the right direction. Is this you? I need you to show me. And watch what God does as impact unfolds all around you. Would you pray with me?